Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are, of course, the world headquarters of Common Sense, the place to find the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's lots going on today, as you might expect. Mist is swirling around the buildings here at Talk Radio Towers, but there's nothing mystical about what's occurring. Boris Johnson has headed back to Glasgow for Transport Day because nothing will convince people to stop travelling more than travelling, of course. Even John Prescott has got in on the act. He's heading up north, boasting that he's got rid of his two Jags and he's now known as Zero Jags. Brilliant. John Prescott always was good for a laugh. Meanwhile, down in Westminster, the media are still obsessed with sleaze and the focus of the iron now appears to be focused uh, on Sir Geoffrey Cox QC, which works out rather well for the Prime Minister. Cox is accused of using his parliamentary office to zoom into a corruption case against the Virgin Islands, which earned him an absolute fortune. If it turns out to be true, it's a massive breach of the rules. We've also got just one day to go for all care home staff to get double vaccinated or lose their jobs, and there could be as many as 60,000 people affected. First up this morning, though, we've got a special guest to speak. To Catherine Burble Singh is the chair of the government's Social Mobility Commission, and she also happens to be the head of the Michaela School uh, here in London. I'll be asking her about how we fix the divisions in our society, why the truth has been hijacked by special interests, and what it is that makes people think turning children into victims actually helps them in any way, shape, or form. Tonya Buxton's here as well with the latest on the vaccine mandates being handed out by Sajid Javid, and we'll get her take on Patrick Valance's assertion that climate change is worse than COVID. Jamie Jenkins will be here. We're going to talk about what's going on. Belarus uh, and the Polish border too. We've got all sorts going on. Uh, Indeed, we might also touch upon Prince Harry, who's decided that the phrase Megxit is in fact misogynistic. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say that for the very first time in the Independent Republic, we have Catherine Burble. Seeing Catherine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming in. We've got so much to talk about, really. And the thing I like about it is that it won't be COVID related. It won't have anything to do with COP26. And it will be something completely different uh, that we could actually charm the listeners with. Because you have been somebody that I've long admired for a very, uh, for a very long time. Since we started talking to you just about schooling and about what the, 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 the education system was like. You've since, of course, been appointed as a, um, a social mobility sort of uh, caretaker, if you like, for the government. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how that happened and, and what you do for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's only just started. But um, the idea of the Social Mobility Commission is that um, 
one kind of gives advice to government on things that uh, one might think would help uh, enable social mobility in the country. And there's a team of people who can do some research and analysis of various different issues. And um, and I'll help uh, push them in, in the mm. right directions as yes. I might see it. Really. Because I wonder whether we are at a point in our in our sort of societal history where social mobility is pretty low at the moment. You know, when I was growing up, a long time ago um, and we became of age kind of in the 1980s my sister and I both at the same time she ended up going to work in the city which until then had been very much the place where only stockbrokers sons could go and work but suddenly big bang happened she got a job right did very well I went and worked in America they seemed to the, the world seemed to be our oyster it doesn't feel like that's the case now for kids coming out of college or, or coming out of school well, I'm not sure that's the case, actually. My feeling is that, um, in fact, social mobility is far better now than people tend to think. Uh -huh. um, and that's the sort of thing that we can look at with the commission and, and do some analysis to see whether or not my kind of instinct on that is true. Yeah. Um, but wherever it is, however good or bad it is, obviously we want it to get better. And that's what's key. And the, the things that I'd like to look at really are a big thing is education. Obviously, I think that schools make a massive difference to children in terms of what they're going to be able to do with their lives and how many doors will be open mm. to them. I want to look at the routes into work um, at the other end of school, you know, uh, apprenticeships and so on. That's some that's we can go some way, I think, as a country to 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 help in that area because um, it's it's much more complex than I think people might realise. Yes. I mean, I happen to think, and it may be a simplistic view, that there's too many teenagers going to university and just deciding they'll go there because they should. Mm -hmm. Again, when I was younger, not very many people went to university. Yeah. An awful lot of people just went to learn either a trade or got into a business yes. at a younger age and you could get into the city or you could get into journalism. I mean, it's really hard to even yes. get into this building if you yes. haven't got a degree. Yes. And I think we're hoping to change that. We're trying to change that. Yes, well... I mean, and you make a good point that there, I do think sometimes there are students who end up doing degrees that they perhaps didn't have to do. And if there were other routes into the workplace uh, that would enable them to get various jobs and work their way up, as it were, uh, they might have been better off. Yes. And so I, I, I am interested in that. I'm also interested in, in what families can do for themselves, mm. you know, at home in terms of enabling social mobility. You know, on the one hand, there is the government and that's great. And we want to make sure that the government is doing the right things. But I also think we, as people need to do what we can to give ourselves the best chances at life. Yes, because I think the worry that, that some people have is that there are pockets of this country where the poor remain poor and for generations they don't really change anything about that. And we know that individuals can, can obviously shine and sometimes can come from the very poorest circumstances and do well. But what should we be doing differently, do you think, in terms of, I mean, levelling up is the phrase the government uses. I'm not sure anyone really knows what that means. Well, there's an interesting point that you make about individuals, because there are some individuals who manage to change things for themselves and some others that don't. And then we need to, I think it'd be good to look at why. Why yeah. is that the case? Right. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do, I think, with education, and in particular education before children even get to school. Um, and one of, a big thing for me, for instance, is screen time, smartphones, mm. and, and how that can destroy children's uh, abilities. Um, so you give a toddler uh, a, a smartphone, and then when you're trying to teach him to read later on, the book finds it really hard to compete yes. with the smartphone right. because it's flat and black and white. Smartphone has lots of colours and explosions and so on. Mm. And... Then the parent thinks, oh, well, actually, he just never really liked reading. But at, the, the reality is, if you hadn't given him the smartphone, mm. that might not have happened. And so I would love to see more campaigns to inform families of what kind of works with children yeah. in terms of helping them make the most of their abilities. Yes, I think that's true. I think many parents would probably say in their own defence, well, we gave them an iPad to play with at the restaurant because it stopped them from being a nuisance effectively. Yep. It's easy, isn't it? Yes, yes. No, exactly. Well, sometimes it's easy but also I don't know if people realise the damage that they might be doing no. you know and, and that's the kind and because it's so new all of this technology is so new and then eventually you get to a point where you can't take you know the smartphone away children go on hunger strike mm. and they, they, they say they're leaving home and all sorts and I'm not exaggerating it's the kind of thing they do because they're so addicted yeah. and people don't realise that uh, the Instagram, Snapchat all of them they have uh, teams of people hired uh, addiction teams yeah. to make the app more addictive right. you know and um I, it's quite it's horrifying. That, it, it is. It's it's awful. And what we also don't realise is that the big tech CEOs in California, they don't give their children these screens. Mm. They protect their own children. Do they? 
Definitely. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, Steve Jobs, when he was uh, interviewed in 2010 about the new iPad coming out, was asked what his children thought of the iPad. And he said, well, obviously, I wouldn't give my children the iPad. You know, why would I Amazing. do that? Yeah. And the rest of us, of course, imagine that his house is filled with phones and iPads. Right. It's not the case at all. Yeah. So the, the people who know, uh, there's a wonderful film on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, mm. which I would suggest all your viewers watch. Okay. It will scare the pants off you and right. will make sure you take those phones out of your toddler's hands. Wow. And what about in your school then? Do you have no, a no phone policy? Do you use yeah. computers in any way, shape or form, like in terms of creative um, Yeah, Yeah, so uses? we will use computers, but phones are not allowed on the premises. But we go further than that. We do a lot of work with families to get the children to not have smartphones even at home. Mm. We sell brick phones so that the parent can still have the accessibility to their child, right. be able to phone them and text them, but they don't have unsupervised access to the internet, which is just so important, especially yeah. for the older children who then get involved with all kinds of people who you would not want your child to be involved with. Yeah. And the problem is you don't actually know that that's what's happening because they're doing it privately on their phone yeah. and you have no idea. And I worry as well about the sort of stuff that goes on once the children become sort of adolescents and they get to become 12, 13, 14 years of age and the way they interact with each other mm -hmm. uh, on the internet and on Snapchat yes. and, and stuff and the kinds of exactly. things, that they, pictures they exchange and all of that. Exactly. It's a very unhealthy world, isn't it? Well, and it, it, it's a kind of spiral downwards. Yeah. The language that they use, mm. the kind of a behaviour that then comes from that. It normalises uh, aggressive, angry kind of behaviour. Now, it doesn't mean that all children do this but mm. you are putting your child at risk when they have unsupervised access to the internet because yeah. you don't know what they're doing not only that but it just it destroys family time it's 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 very individual you're just on it on your own mm. the thing about tv while i'm not the biggest fan of television and children i'd rather they did their homework obviously yeah. at least with the television you sit around as a family and you can watch together yeah with the phone it actually breaks families apart mm. and um I think in 50, 60 years' time, all of this will be very well known and we'll all have lots of books on yeah. this sort of thing. Yeah, it's I mean, I've spoken new. to sort of parental um, guidance counsellors and things who say, you know, they have a basket at the front door and whoever right. comes home, they drop the phone in right. the basket and they don't Great. use it again yeah. until they go back out again. Great idea. But it's easy to say, though, but is it easy to do? I mean, do you have, how, how do you get the success rates that you get with parents? Well, we have a digital detox system at school where the children can voluntarily drop their phones off and they can drop them for two days, three days. Uh, when they're coming up towards the GCSE exams, the children will drop them there for several weeks, mm. if not months at wow. a time. And people are kind of astonished by this. But because we're constantly talking about it, the culture at Michaela is very much one of uh, don't break your brain, right. uh, spend your time on your homework, do this for yourself. Mm. You know, our six formers, um, again, they just, uh, they're able to, to drop the phone off and then concentrate on their A-levels. Yeah. And it's great if you get the buy-in from the kids. Yeah. And what parents really like is having that support from the school. Sometimes I think parents can be frustrated. Friends of mine, if I say, take the phone away from your child, and they say, yeah, but the, the school is asking us to use the phone. The school is asking mm. us. And so I do think schools and parents, all of us have a part to play in here to, to try and help them be the best version of themselves that they can be. Yeah. And that, that that's that's the thing that I really right. want to be. Everybody has a certain ability level. Well, are we actually reaching those ability levels? Yes. You know, and are all children being given those opportunities? Because in the end, it's all about opportunities. Because, of course, I mean, I always say to people, I went to grammar school um, when I was younger. And it's very difficult now to find grammar schools, mm -hmm. uh, apart from in Kent and, and Lancashire, I think. Uh, you a, a fan of grammar schools or not really? I don't have anything against them. I mm. mean, um, we there are a couple of grammar schools near us. Ah. So actually, in many ways, we're a secondary modern because right. those kids go off. You know, our children haven't, you know, passed the, the, the 11 plus. Um, uh, I... I yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not against them. No, but there are some educators who don't think that the exam regimens that we that we have are, are good for kids, that they put too much pressure on them. I mean, I'm, I, I think exams are, are a good thing. I so don't know do what I. you think has happened to the education system in the last two years, because clearly so many schools have been closed for such a long period of time. It's been yes. very difficult. How did you manage that? Yeah, well, we did our Zoom lessons and we gave phone calls home and we did lots and lots to support the children. Um, but it doesn't really matter because there's nothing can replace a good teacher in a classroom. Mm. 
Children need their teachers with them, uh, holding them to account. And when I say holding them to account, you're able to test for learning right away in the classroom. Have they got it? Have they not? Oh, I'm going to reteach that. When you're on Zoom, that's impossible. And you have no idea whether or not they're actually taking on board what you're teaching them. So huge losses happened over the pandemic, uh, in particular for disadvantaged children, because obviously if you have... um, if, if, if you have a situation at home which can be more able to get you on top of the work and can support you, you know, if the family doesn't speak English, well, very difficult. You know, there are all kinds of things that will hold disadvantaged children back. Mm. Um, but my position right now is uh, we can all catch up. We can all work hard. If we were to take away screen time from kids and get the behavior right in our schools across the country, you'd be amazed at how quickly mm. everybody would catch up. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> and interestingly, you've spoken before about the um, one of the things that disadvantaged children don't need is to be told they're disadvantaged constantly or yes. to be told that they're somehow worse off yes. and they've got less chance and yes. they'll never get anywhere. Yes, that's absolutely the case. Um, I, my position is, look, you know... Uh, uh, progressives like to talk about the obstacles in life like racism and sexism and so on and they may very well exist I'm almost not interested mm. <laughs> I mean what's important to me is are we maximizing our opportunities are we making sure we're taking personal responsibility so that we can deliver when we're in our lessons so that we can deliver on those exam papers I too believe very much in exams um, it, it, it can show it gives children something to work towards and it helps them hone those abilities. I feel really sorry for the exam groups, both GCSE and A-level, who went through over the pandemic yeah. because they didn't really have those no. national exams that they could work towards. And it means then that later in life, you learn stuff about yourself, mm. how you learn, how how to make sure, when do you work best? How do you keep keep on top of things? How do you, where do you get that resilience from? How do you get the motivation mm. to keep going when you're down? You know, all of that stuff is what makes people successful. Sure. And, and how you handle the stress of worrying about exactly. it as well, because if you exactly. don't have any stress as a child or as a teenager, you yeah. won't know what to do. And I think that's what we suffer from right now. Yeah. You know, I know an awful lot of young people who can't handle it. They yes. just go, they just can't handle anything. Yes, and of course that comes from a very young age. Mm. And I think too often progressives can argue against exams. You know, certainly when they're younger in year one and two and so on, they say, no, 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 we shouldn't be testing children. But the fact is that in the private sector, children are tested all the time. They're at seven plus, eight plus, 11, 13. They're being, they've got these exams yeah. to get into various schools. So that means by the time they get to GCSE at 16, well, this is this is Just play. They test. know they've done it so many times mm. before, and so I don't think we're helping anybody to protect them from these tests because the fact is, in life, there are loads and loads of tests, and if you don't deliver that that talk to the to the to the board in the way that you're meant to, well, they'll fire you. Mm. And so at school, what's great about school? It's your opportunity to be able to fail and then pick yourself up fail again, pick yourself up, and to learn how to build that resilience so that later in life you can succeed. Mm. You fail now, you succeed later. But if you're protected all the time now, then you won't succeed later. And our job as teachers and as parents is to build them up, get that confidence. And how do you get that confidence? By succeeding at the various things you're doing. And you succeed by failing, picking yourself up, keep on going, and so on. And by taking chances, because a lot of people, again, are not prepared to do that on the grounds that they're worried they might fail. And you go, well... You know, I've always been asked that question, you know, aren't you aren't you worried? You know, I used to be in newspapers and when I got into radio, people were like, how do you know you're not going to fail at radio? And I yes. went, well, I just don't think I am. I don't yes. know. I'll just have a go, see how it goes. Yes. It's going all right. It's going quite well, in fact. <laughs> um, but, you know, as parents, we're always um, wondering what we should be doing more. There's always yes. more that you can do. Yes. But at the same time, you know, I've my two boys now the younger two are 17 and 14 so uh-huh. they don't really want to see much of me at all at this point you no. know um and the, 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 it's actually quite a struggle to get them to do anything with the rest of the family yes but at the same time i don't want to make them do that and i want them to kind of branch out. i mean during lockdown at one point i actually said to the 17 year old why don't you go out and hang around on the street corner and drink some cider or something like like you're supposed to and he laughed at it because he hadn't been out because he started because yes. I think the lockdown has been really hard for a lot of families it and has. a lot of kids yes yes no absolutely well you're just saying you want them to be kind of normal they're yeah. going out and doing normal right. things and just behaving and, and getting into a little yes. bit of trouble because that's what you expect them to do yes but I mean overall you just want them to be happy yes well indeed you but know. happiness is an interesting thing and I think if you make happiness your goal actually mm. it, it, that ironically that can actually undermine them being happy what you want is for them to be successful at the various 
uh, uh, the various things that they're trying to do. You know, young parents, get them on, when I say with young kids, you know, get them learning an instrument. Um, put your all into that. That's not because they're going to become a professional pianist later, right. but because it gives them something to concentrate on yeah. and to feel like they've achieved that. Every time they see a piece of music, they think, I can't do that. But by the end, they can. Mm. You want to find things. Now, that's the case with all sorts of things. That's just an example. It might be that you get them on, on some uh, football coaching. Right. And again, they think, oh, I can't get the ball around those pylons. But then they keep practicing and then they manage it. You want as many activities like that as possible so that they can know that they feel at the beginning they can't do it, and then at the end they can. And what was the difference? Practice, yes. right? And too often, I think in the West, we think to ourselves, oh, well, I just can't do it. I'm not cut out for that. In the East, they don't think like that. In the East, they think, put the hard work in and you'll get there. Yes. And that's something I really want to see more of here with all of us yes. in the West. Really. No, I think that's an interesting point because I think there is that tendency now for people to, to talk to their kids as if they, they are trying to kind of wrap them in cotton wool and make sure that they don't come to any harm and to make sure that they're protected so that nobody... I mean, the whole business of offence that people take nowadays seems to me to be undermining people's happiness as well because people just take offence all the time. And I was interested in one of your tweets about the truth. Um, truth has become right. so inconsequential yes. to some of us that we are moving to a point where we no longer consider it valuable because mm. it's all about your truth now and my yes. truth as opposed yes. to the truth, right? Yes, that's right. And um... How do you deal with that in school? Well, actually, I think we do such a great job of getting our kids to understand right from wrong and so on. We don't, you know, they, they get it. They, our kids are so great. Mm. You know, you would love them. You need to come and visit the school. I will. And in fact, you know, we get over 600 visitors a year visiting the school. They come and have lunch with the kids. They um, they go on a tour. And um, it you'll see lots of really excited children who love learning and who... I think they believe in truth. Mm. I mean, it'd be interesting. I'll have to give it one of our lunch topics. I'll have to yes. ask them and see what they well, think. Well, maybe we'll come and have a conversation about truth because, you know, we have a very divided truth now in, in this country where we have those who believe that we should have stayed in the European Union, those that think we should have left, those that think that, uh, you know, COVID should be now something that we move on from and carry on further, those who think that climate change is the most important thing we'll ever deal with. And it seems that the polarisation now of everything yes. has driven people insane. It's true. There it? is a polarisation, and that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. I I do try hard on my Twitter, actually, to try and um, speak, you know, to, to, to both ends, as it were, yeah. um, and, and try and make sure that one's thoughts are more nuanced and complex, you know, right. um, just because uh, if you find you're always agreeing with one side, maybe you need to just hear what the other side is saying. Yeah. I think just generally. But, but when we hear from politicians and from scientists, well, there's no debate now on, on this subject. This is this is the result of uh, what we have decided. And therefore, anyone yes. who doesn't agree with it is clearly uh, uh, some kind of basket case that needs to be locked up. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not the problem. Good. And I, I understand ordinary people's frustration mm. when the media classes have got the airwaves yeah. and they've got the kind of power, as it were, to kind of to say what's what. Right. And they feel like their ordinary views that they think are pretty normal because that's what everybody thinks around them right. that, that these people in their positions that you know of power are kind of looking down on them yeah. and I, I i get it i get the anger i do i do as well when you get some people that call into our shows who have just got ordinary lives yes uh, um, you know they've got not very much money but they've got enough to get by they're working they're doing yes. the best for their kids yes. you know they don't want to be bombarded all yes. the time with how wrong their lives are yes. and how privileged they are because of the color of their skin yes. or how underprivileged they are because of the color of their skin Yes. No. And I, and I get that. Although I am somebody who will bombard quite a lot on how to be a better parent or yes. how to be a better teacher. <laughs> yeah. But as long as it's I mean, we call ourselves the home of common sense because we like to think that that's what we teach people. Yes. It's not ideologically driven. Yes. People no. accuse us of being ideologically driven, but yes. it's driven simply by just common sense. You yes. Know? Like yes. I said yes. about Boris Johnson, you know, it's travel day. Uh, where everybody's supposed to be encouraged not to travel. So all the politicians have travelled to Scotland. And yeah. you go, well, that doesn't make much sense, does it? No. <laughs> it's not really showing a great example to jump on a private jet when yes. telling me not to drive anywhere with my children and make them walk to school. Yes. No, indeed. And I think that's a really good point about role models, mm. that we adults need to be role models for children. Right. And... Um, and that means that we need to not make ourselves into victims. We need to, when we fall down, pick ourselves up and keep on going. We need to try and take personal responsibility. We need to 
Look, I know teenagers are hard, aren't they? I mean, they you've are. got teenagers. Yeah. But I think you need to insist on them sitting around the dinner table. Oh, with we you. do. Oh, yeah. right. Okay, no, great. We definitely well, well do that. done. You. Yeah. No, we definitely do that. But right. they can't wait to get away. That's well, not. That's, that's not the fine. problem. No, we sit them down. We right. make them. We make them discuss. Good. The thing elements of the day. Good. You know, we make them talk. Good. Well, you say that as if it's obvious. It's not obvious, yeah. right? There are lots of families where that doesn't happen, mm. and that's really, really important because they know you care about them. It's bonding time. Yeah. You get to talk about stuff so that they learn about the world. Of course, they're going to scuttle off afterwards. Yeah. I mean, they're teenagers. Right. That's normal, right? right? But great that you have that family mm. time together. Yes, no, definitely. Well, listen, you're an absolute inspiration, Catherine. I'm so glad you came here. We could talk for hours, but I will yes. come and talk to you some more Do at your come school. and visit us, yes. If you could give one piece of advice, and this is the, this is the hard bit, right? Mm -hmm. One piece of advice to parents listening to this now going, what do we do um, to make our kids better? Loads and loads of reading. Minimal screen time. Okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. Catherine Burble Singh, good luck with the government as well, because uh, that looks like a lot of treacle to, to clamber through uh, for about 100 miles of bad road. But there we are. Catherine Burble Singh, thank you so much for coming in. Please do uh, let us know what you made of all of that, because I find it fascinating. I think it's inspirational. This is what we do here at Talk Radio. We're going to teach you how to be cleverer. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're now, of course, also available on your television as well, on Apple TV, Rakuten, uh, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube now. We're also on Amazon Fire TV as well. Uh, you can watch us on an iPad. You can watch us uh, on a watch. You can watch us on a phone. You can watch us on any device that you happen to have uh, that you can live stream us on. Uh, for details, just go to talkradio.tv or simply download the Talk Radio TV app from the App Store. Now, Boris Johnson apparently is on his way uh, up to Glasgow on a train. So he's obviously learned his lesson from taking the private jet back to the Garrick the other day. Uh, whether or not uh, we shall see him coming back on a train is another matter. But I can't see anything right now. I'm looking out the window. It is so misty and murky that I, I cannot actually see the Tower of London, which always disturbs me when I can't see that because uh, it annoys me. I like to look at the Tower of London. I think it's a wonderful place. But I'll tell you what we're going to do now. We're going to go down to Wales because Jamie Jenkins is here, independent statistician, political commentator, of course. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Now, what's going on in Wales? Mr Drakeford appears to have uh, thrown the cat out the window and decided that the bath towel's going with it and everything else. What's happening? Yeah, so we've got these COVID passes in Wales. So they're slightly different to COVID passports overall, where you can get a lateral flow test. And, and they've been in kind of venues, big stadiums. I think the rugby's been in recently. And then you've got nightclubs, similar to what you kind of got up in Scotland. And what Mark Drakeford said a few weeks ago is that if you actually, um, if we don't see cases coming down, we're going to look to extend them. Now, in cases in Wales, have actually been coming down over the last few weeks, and in England, to, to point that out as well, Mike, we've had the longest declining cases across England and Wales since the summer. Right. But they had a vote in the Senate yesterday to look to extend these now into theatres, into cinemas now. I'll just give you a little bit of an antidote on this one, Mike, that uh, my, my eight-year-old boy, actually, 12 people in his class have got COVID. Right. So he tested positive for it over the weekend. I had to have a test uh, yesterday to release myself because they changed the rules in Wales. Uh, you've got to have a negative PCR test. And I actually tested positive and come back this morning saying I've tested positive. But I have very few symptoms at all, Mike, a little bit of a headache, but I've got no loss of smell, no high temperature, no cough. Right. But I have been double jabbed, Mike, so I could get a COVID pass. I haven't needed to get a COVID pass, so I haven't actually got one. But I could go to all these venues. If, yeah. if my son had a tested positive uh, because of lots of people in his class had got COVID, I could be out uh, spreading the virus yeah. myself. But that's the point. The whole idea of the of the vaccine passport or vaccine pass, whatever you want to call it, is nonsensical. Uh, in the same way that making people get double jabbed doesn't make any sense either, because if they didn't want to do it in the first place, why would they suddenly do it now? And and, and as we know, it doesn't actually change the, the transmissibility, if you like, of, of COVID. No, I think the important thing really, Mike, is that, and this is for the NHS staff, obviously, where they're trying to mandate these vaccines. On that, an interesting statistic, obviously, COVID is, is, is kind of a deadly virus for a lot of people, but it's generally the elderly that it does kill. Uh, if you are looking at the stats yesterday, Mike, and if you look at the, the flu vaccine last winter, only 77% of NHS frontline staff had the flu vaccine. And, you know, the flu is a deadly virus as well. But, but going back to these kind of vaccine passports, what the, the problem with them is, Mike, is that people who've had a prior infection, and there'd be huge amounts of NHS and care staff who've had a prior infection. The, the ONS have done a, some research and study and some analysis themselves to show that 
the chances of you catching COVID are significantly reduced if you've had a prior infection. But none of the ministers, you know, none of the policies are thinking about all of that. No, you know, there's millions of people who've had COVID, Mike, and saying that you have to have a jab. You know, I say I've had double jab, but it's not for me to tell anybody if they should have a vaccine or not. And mandating vaccines when we've never done that in the past for the likes of flu, which is a deadly respiratory virus for many, just seems a bit too far for me, Mike. Well, that's right. And I mean, the thing is, we've got statistics on pretty much everything. I saw that you were having a go at uh, some of the reporting deaths soaring uh, to 262 on a Tuesday compared to Monday, because quite frankly, everybody who's anybody knows that Tuesday's figure is always higher than Monday's because of the weekend collection and all of that. But also, they do collect uh, evidence and data on everything, but they don't collect it, or they certainly haven't shared it with us on herd immunity. No, I think that's... The, I, I, I knew a few months back, or maybe a few weeks back, Mike, they were saying they'd run out of these test tubes to do some tests across the NHS. And oh, really? ultimately, what, a shortage of test lot. tubes? Surely not. Well, yeah, we have to put that one in your shortage of the week, Mike, or something. <laughs> but uh, but we had a shortage of test tubes because why not offer antibody tests for people who've had yeah. kind of prior infection? And, and that's why I was always critical about vaccinating children as well. So my boy, obviously, he's eight now. He's got he's downstairs at the moment. Mike, he's playing on his computer. He's at, all his mates, eleven of them, are all kind of with their headsets, loving the fact that they're all off school and none, he hasn't got any. He's not coughing or anything. Right. He's just having a, having a whale of a time. So so I think kind of when we're looking at all of this in, in the like the grand scheme. The day, Mike. You know, the other day as well. You had the NHS boss are kind of saying that the number of people going into hospital was fourteen times higher than this time last year. Absolute nonsense. The well, it was rubbish. Well, she's like, you'll be pleased yeah. to know she made herself onto the plank of the week list for that. No, good, 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 Mike. Because for me, there's a bit about some people might say, oh, she was deliberately trying to be misleading to try and scare people to go and get a booster jab, but. You know, it's just the kind of the smell test with that number. It's, it's not rocket science. If you're the head of the NHS, you should have some mouse with a bit of data to know oh, the fact that. I mean, Ian Collins, said to me, Ian Collins said to me the other day, if you'd done the maths on that, it would mean that 154,000 people were in hospital. And you go, exactly well, that's that. just ridiculous. And anyone looking at that, if they were in a PR department of the NHS, would have said, well, that must be wrong. Exactly that, Mike. And 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 just for for the listeners and the viewers, this actually, rather than being 14 times higher at their own, if you actually look at the numbers, they're a third lower. And say cases are coming down now. The interesting thing here, Mike, is they started looking like they peaked before half term and schools have actually gone back and we're not seeing this big spike. And, and the interesting thing is that we say we've had 14 days now of consecutive declines, which is the longest period now since the summer, which is an important part of all of this. And ironically, even though Scotland do have lower rates overall, if you start tracking over the last few weeks in terms of where the growth in cases are, it's in Scotland. And what we got in Scotland, Mike, we got vaccine passports, we got masks. Now, England's got the biggest decline in cases. Scotland's got the biggest increase in mm. cases. None of this is making much sense at all anymore. Well, none of it is at all. And of course, now, uh, just to add sort of fuel to the fire, Patrick Vallance, uh, one of the government's scientific advisors, has come out and said that climate change is going to be worse than COVID. So presumably that means we can forget about COVID then, can we? Well, you know, Mike, this, this little climate change thing is, you know, we can't, we can't deny this. We, we're going to do our bit for the planet. But for me... The, I can't the even of... see the planet out the window today. That's how well, bad it that... is. Well, they probably say it's all the emissions from all the cars, Mike. And although I think in London you don't get many cars because they've got well, all the cycle lanes. Yeah, you can't moment. go anywhere in a car at this, this, uh, this moment in time in London. You can just sit in it and leave the engine running, uh, unless you've got no. one of those economic ones, uh, ergonomic ones, where the engine exactly cuts that, out. Mike. You know. No, exactly that. And I think that the problem you've got, obviously, now is that we've, we're have coming out the back end of COVID, hopefully. You, the case is actually going rife in Europe. Only a few weeks ago, Mike, everybody was saying how bad the UK is. Obviously, we're testing significantly more than the rest yeah. of Europe. But they've got a fourth wave in Germany and Russia. Things have gone kind of off the scale. It's probably an element there, Mike, because obviously vaccines are in some of these countries that ultimately to get out of this, everybody's going to need to catch the virus. So, yeah, I've had two jabs where I've caught the virus now and, and obviously, obviously I won't come back with too many symptoms. But ultimately, Mike, that's what we're going to need. And maybe now the, the kind of the scientists are starting to move on to the climate change agenda yeah. as the next thing to start scaring us because you can't tell me, Mike, that... You know, it all starts with some kind of leadership here. And if Boris Johnson's going to start flying back and forth Scotland, and, and I think Prince Charles, my, I was, I was going to do the maths on this, but I haven't got around to doing it. I think Prince Charles's climate kind of CO2 emissions in the last month has probably been more than my lifetime when he's flying around <laughs> the world. Well, so, I mean, you COP26 is going to create more carbon emissions than the entire nation of Scotland in a year, right? No. So that's 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 what their hypocrisy is doing. But what about uh, this business at the end of the day uh, of why we are still in the position that we are in, despite the fact that uh, more or less 
a lot of life has pretty much returned to normal. I'm not, I'm finding a lot of people now are getting um, COVID after the fact, um, and some of those people are getting it because they had their second jab, say five or six months ago, which suggests anyway that the that the jab does wear off. Um, in which in which case people might say, well, I wish I'd never bothered getting it. Yeah, well, obviously, we're coming through and learning a lot about all of this. I think my jab was probably about four, five, six months ago. And um, I think, ultimately, what, what we're going to probably need to come up with all of this is I, I put a tweet out yesterday to just continue to look at the death statistics on all of this. And, and it's still a virus that's more deadly for the elderly. You know, we've got the vast majority of all of the deaths, 90 percent. A kind of of all the deaths in the past month the people over the age of 60 nearly three quarters of the age of 75 despite you know, the majority of these people being vaccinated now the deaths you know let's not kind of shy away from the previous waves deaths are considered to be lower because the vaccine will be having an effect but i think longer term mike vaccinating the whole population and i there was talk about you can't travel if you haven't had a third booster mm. they're going to roll out to the whole population i think mike we're just going to learn to kind of where you have a flu vaccine for the, the JCVI vulnerable groups, you'll have a COVID vaccine. Vaccinating the whole population isn't the way out of all of this in the longer term and further and further jabs. You know, prior infection over time, you, you look back 100 years ago, Mike, with the Spanish flu, you had the first wave, you had a second wave, you had an exit wave. But over time, these waves kind of diminish because you tend to find the virus has become more transmissible, but less deadly. So, so I think vaccination in the longer term isn't going to be the solution to all of this it's probably just going to be kind of the, the word herd immunity yeah, in the end people actually getting it jamie great to talk to you thanks very much indeed jamie jenkins independent statistician and political commentator on the latest covid stats which are uh, very very encouraging if you want to see the end of this because it would suggest that they are at their lowest level for quite some time and they're going down continually so all this talk of you know cancelling christmas if you don't get the booster jab i think they're not going to go n- near that if they've got any brains uh, this is mike graham on talk radio with the veterans railcard if you've served at least a day in the armed forces you could save a third on rail travel visit railcard.co.uk to apply talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense, the one place that you have to come to uh, if you want to hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Also, of course, uh, the place you can watch as well as listening uh, because there's all sorts of great things to see on talk radio. We've got Plank of the Week coming up later on, but you can watch it on Apple TV, on Rakuten, on Samsung TV Plus, on Roku, uh, YouTube and now Amazon Fire TV as well. Watch us in every single way that you can uh, because we are growing faster than you can shake a stick at. Go to talkradio.tv or go to the App Store uh, and download the Talk Radio TV app. Now, we're going to go to the phones right now because we've got plenty of people to talk to, uh, plenty of common sense to be had. Let's talk to Martin, who's in Lincolnshire. Hello, Martin. Yeah, hello, Mike. Good morning. Yeah. Morning. What can I do for you, Martin? Yeah, enjoying the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Out, of all the, out of all the presenters, uh, you're the only one I choose to listen to. Well, so that's very go. kind, very kind. But you should uh, keep going with the others. You never know. You might, you might, you might learn, learn something. Well, I used to listen to them all, yes, but anyway. Anyway, never mind about that. What do you you want to tell me about the NHS? Well, yes. um, Now, um, I've had probably something like um, 14, 15 months of treatment uh, for cancer with the NHS. Mm. Uh, The first thing was an operation, then there was follow-up, then there was radiotherapy and some treatment recently. Fantastic, fantastic. You wouldn't think all this stuff you hear about all the NHS, you you wouldn't think so. They're so positive in there. But speaking to nurses, there's big concern um, about this mandating of vaccines. Yes, I'm sure. And the point, the point I want to make, if they mandate vaccines for NHS staff, we are one step away from mandating that anybody wanting to go into hospital for treatment will have to be up to date with their vaccines as mm. well. That'll be the next step. Yes. Well, this is what worries a lot of people because there's already doctors, GPs, who will not see you as a patient unless you've got uh, a negative COVID test. And they might say the same and say you can't come into the surgery unless you've been vaccinated. Well, all I'll say is this, we, we are all part of a, a grand experiment. And the experiment is, how far can we go in controlling people's lives? Mm. And the thing we have lost in this country, and probably around the world as well, is community. Uh, the, the, the church has gone. That, that went yeah. a long time. I'm not a church goer. I never have been. But we should stop lining up behind government and these idiots that are put in these positions. I mean, Sajid Javid, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Mm. He, he doesn't know his backside from his elbow when it comes to keeping people healthy and safe. No. It's just a mouthpiece, as is Boris and all the rest of them. Yeah. And they're not interested in questions that they don't want to answer. They just avoid them. 
Well, this is the next problem we have in society. You're not allowed to... Well, I'll criticise anybody, but the way things go... I mean, I've seen reports that were published by The Lancet, mm. uh, recognised, you know, a medical journal, uh, for it subsequently to be taken down because pressure gets put upon them to take it down. Yeah. So just uh, as with climate change caused by man, and I really worry about mankind trying to con control the climate because if he does the same job as he's done with this <laughs> COVID in the Arctic, Well. All doomed. Well, we that's all right. Doomed. No, I think you're absolutely right, Martin. Good call. Thank you very much for making it. He's absolutely right, of course, because the arrogance uh, of the COP26 brigade, the people who say we can change the climate by operating ourselves differently. No. Who says you can? Nobody that I know believes that. Let's talk to Jay in London. Hi, Jay. Hi, hi, Mike. Great show as ever. Thank you. Um, just wondered what your thoughts were on um, vaccine passports for five-year-old children. Well, I think it's ridiculous. They shouldn't be vaccinating children at all, in my view. Oh, right. Well, that's already happening in um, America, New York. I know they're asking. Uh, I, know, I knew they were, re, they were they were asking whether they could do it. I didn't know they'd started doing it. Is that the case? No. He, he, in a press conference yesterday, he confirmed that they're working on it. Yeah, they're working they're on it. Yeah, on. they've got yeah, a plan yeah. to, to, to vaccinate people all the way down to five. Absolute madness. They're not vaccinating well, my kids. It, where, where, where does it end, Mike? I mean, do, do, will two, two, like, they're, they're actually currently testing the, the vaccine on six-month-old babies, as mm. we speak. That's right. mad, isn't it? I mean, who's, who well, in their right mind is going to let you vaccinate their baby? Exactly. Gavin Newsom, um, uh, um, a Miami guy, yeah, in the state. Yes. He's, 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 he's insisting that five-year-olds uh, have their um, uh, vaccination. Uh, if they don't, they can't go to school anymore in that state. That's ridiculous. That is so mad. No, no, no jab... No school, Mike. Mm. Yeah, and this I'm I'm where well, I'm worried. Is, is this it happens in the states and then it comes over to this country? Um, um, I, I've got a clip on my YouTube. Uh, sorry, on my a Twitter account, right? Uh, yeah. That I posted about three months ago. Gavin right? Newsom's the governor of California, by the way, not Florida. Just, just uh, sorry, California. Yeah, because yeah, California's they... gone mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's he's currently on the missing list, apparently. But there's rumours about him having a. Uh, jab uh, uh, adverse reactions himself. All right. Well, we don't report rumours on this station, mate. This is about the truth on here. So as soon as we know something, we tell you. He's gone. Where's he gone? Jay's gone. See you, Jay. Uh, listen, um, we've got an awful lot going on here. It's been a busy day. The skies uh, have uh, brightened up slightly. I could now just about see the Tower of London. It's a bit murky, but uh, luckily, as ever, whenever this show is on, the world gets a little bit brighter, a little bit more light is shone in the dark spots of places where people like to hide. Because we don't let you hide on this show. Uh, we're going to find you. Uh, we're going to wheedle out the truth from you. And we're going to tell everybody else what is going on in the real world out there. 0344 499 1000. We are, of course, at Talk Radio with the Veterans Railcard. Just a single day service in the armed forces qualifies you for the Veterans Railcard. Visit railcard.co.uk to apply. Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I tell you what, this show has gone like rocket fuel. And some people do say it's not rocket science. Well, I tell you what, it's rocket science running the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. There's so much going on today. I've literally got to have four hands, ten heads, three brains, four feet, uh, and a really good producer. But that's what you do when you're in the talk radio towers of truth, because that's what we do right here, of course, from Monday to Friday. And coming up in this hour, we've got some even more interesting stuff to talk about, because we've had Tonya Buxton talking about the government uh, and their ridiculous restrictions, their ridiculous idea that people should be double vaccinated in order to work in the NHS or indeed in care homes. We've had Catherine Verbal sing on in the first instance, in the first hour, telling us about what we need to do to improve the chances of our children getting socially mobile and moving up a, a, a gear and going from a place of perhaps poverty into a place of success. And these things are all terribly important today. Uh, we're now going to talk to Henry Bolton, OBE, who's chairman of BritPAC. Uh, he's an expert in international border control and goodness knows we need one of those right now not just for our own borders but for lots of other parts of the countries around us as well because if you see what's been going on on the border of Belarus and Poland you will be horrified to know uh, that that might just in fact be 
something agitated by the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. We'll ask Henry what on earth the EU is doing about it, what on earth we're doing about stopping people coming to this country uh, on illegal migrant boats, what on earth we're doing to get rid of people who seem to be able to be uh, stopped from being deported every single turn. And it's just ridiculous now, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're also going to be telling you a story about some people who are having money taken away from them uh, by greedy mobile phone companies. That's going to be interesting coming up a little bit later on as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it may have um, passed you by, but if you've been paying attention to the news over the last few days, you'll have seen that there's been quite a punch-up going on on the borders between Poland and Belarus because a whole load of migrants from the Middle East have been trying to get in and basically by force break through fences from Belarus into Poland. Now, the European Union, of course, uh, is not doing what I would regard as anything much about this. People are calling for NATO troops to be brought in to try and smooth things over. Uh, But let's talk now to Henry Bolton OBE, who's an expert in international border control, and ask him what he thinks is actually going on. Henry, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much much indeed for joining us. I mean, this is quite a worrying development, isn't it? And it seems to be getting worse rather than better. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, Mike, there are, there are migrants heading towards Western Europe from all over the Middle East, uh, from Africa and from parts of Central Asia. And, um, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people who are on the move at the moment for all sorts of different reasons. Now, what we're seeing in, in Belarus and on the Belarusian-Polish border is actually a weaponizing of that. Uh, a little while ago, there were presidential elections held in, in Belarus and the, uh, the sitting president, Alexander Lukashenko, who's been president since Belarus um, uh, became an independent state after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, that, that election, as they all have been in, in, during his tenure, was, was absolutely 100% fixed. There was no way any opposition party was going to get any traction. The opposition was stamped upon. And as a result of that behaviour, the European Union took sanctions or uh, applied sanctions to the Belarusian authorities and, and Litvinenko and, and some of his uh, uh, some of his his lieutenants, if you like. Mm. The um, now this is him pushing back. He has, as a matter of deliberate policy, attracted uh, migrants from the Middle East, particularly some from Afghanistan and sort of camped them in Belarus with the sole intention of getting them on the border if the European Union doesn't ease up on the sanctions. So this is, we, we all know that we're facing an existential sort of problem on, in the channel. We know about the Libyan thing and the movement across the Sahel to cross the Mediterranean to Italy, Greece and so on through the European Union. We all know about that. But this is possibly the first time that we're seeing migration being absolutely weaponized mm. to place political pressure on a government. And I'm calling, in a sense, the European Union a government. The problem here for the European Union is that they've got this, they're schizophrenic. On the one hand, the European Union insists as a bloc on securing its external borders. And we see that sort of thing playing out all over the place at the moment, not only in Poland, but on the Northern Irish border. But um, the external borders. But on the other hand, the member states of the European Union won't allow the European Union itself to develop the forces, the the institutions, the policing institutions to actually secure those borders. So at the moment, we've got this sort of situation where Poland is being left rather on its own. Mm. It's got the support of something called Frontex, which is the EU's frontier service, but it's more sort of advisory and training than anything else. Um, and so Poland is carrying the brunt of this. And as you can see, you know, this is like water hitting a dam. And yeah. At some point, it may overflow or burst through. Well, absolutely right. I mean, I'm seeing some pictures right now, um, Henry, of, of uh, people from uh, the Belarusian side basically sort of brandishing spades and shovels and trying to hit yep. uh, the Polish border guards with them. Um, we're also told, I was watching a report last night from there, uh, in which there were text messages being sent out by the Polish uh, border patrol saying, you know, the border is closed. Do not please attempt to, to cross. Also, rather menace, menacingly, do not take any pills from Belarusian soldiers. The suggestion being that these soldiers are handing out amphetamines to these young men so that they're going kind of crazy and just being able to be superhuman and running at these fences. Yeah, indeed. I mean, this is all part of the politicisation of this. 
Um, I don't know whether the, the, I don't know whether the connection's okay, Mike. Um, it's, um, I'm getting a sign saying the connection's poor at this yeah. end. No, you're Sorry okay. about that. No, carry on. Um, yeah, th- this is all part of the politicisation of it. We're, uh, and it's playing out big style. I mean, you talked about Putin earlier in your introduction. I mean, uh, uh, people, we've got a gas problem at the moment, energy problem. We all know about that, the, mm. the rising prices and so on, particularly in gas. And during this crisis, Putin has uh, he cut the flow of gas, natural gas, from the Russian Federation to Germany and the European Union by 25%. What we're seeing here is we're seeing Belarus, Litvinenko, supported by Putin, taking action to put huge political and economic pressure on the European Union to stop the European Union taking any sort of sanctions or or, or measures against them. Now, this this is more global power politics than it is just migration, but they're using migration. And of course, this rhetoric, this propaganda coming out of the Belarusians is all fueling the anti-Polish, anti-EU, anti-Western European rhetoric. Mm. And it is massively dangerous. And, you know, if you connect that with what's happening with cyber and the the assaults on our our, our institutions from Russian cyber attacks, you know, we've got a lot going on here. And at the moment, we're all wrapped up in our own little world back here. And we're forgetting that both China and Russia and Russia through by proxy Belarus at the moment is actually they're actually acting in a very Mm. hostile manner. They smell blood yeah. with the fuel crisis, with after COVID. They're smelling blood and smelling the opportunity to get us on the back foot. And, and Frank... Yeah. Well, do you know what, Henry? I think the worry Not I've the got... Light, nor are the Europeans. Yeah, the worry that I've got is that they must be sitting about laughing at us in China, uh, in Beijing and in, and in Moscow, yeah. because here we are concentrating on COP26, worried sick about the climate, which they don't care about, right? Worried sick about COVID restrictions, uh, which they also don't care about. And instead, uh, I would say the quintessential problem that we are facing, um, and the biggest problem we are facing is not climate change, not COVID, but this mass immigration of people coming in their millions, literally, from Middle East, Africa, through Europe, and eventually to Britain. Uh, Mike, I agree. I, I've, I've said many times on social media and on, on other channels um, that I think that this failure, I'm talking about Britain now, the failure of the British government to address the increasing flow of migrants across the, the English Channel is the biggest political scandal of this century yeah. so far. Yeah. I think it, is, it, it stinks of utter incompetence. And unfortunately, we see that lack of planning, lack of capability in other areas. We see it in healthcare, we see it in education, we see it in public transport, we see it in local government. There is a, 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 a mind-bogglingly high degree of incompetence across our government, politicians, government and civil service at the moment. It has to be addressed. And, uh, you know, there are people around who, who can help this. So I was speaking to somebody the other day on the energy side. I mean, he, he's pulling his hair out. Mm. Um, he, he, is, he, is, he was very high up in BP. He helped the Russians to develop, to build Gazprom. And the British government's not even talking to him, refuses to talk to them. And the British government paid me for 20 years thereabouts to help other governments sort out problems like the ones we face in the English Channel successfully. Um, they know what I'm capable of, but they won't talk to me. I've mm. written to the Prime Minister, the Home Secretary, various other people. I don't even get a response. And they, they know very well that... You know, there is expertise out there, but they're too full of themselves to reach out for it. And we keep hearing from Pretty Patel that, you know, this will not stand. You know, we're going to be making sure that these uh, illegal crossings end and nothing happens. You know, and I'm told that this uh, new bill, which is going through Parliament, is probably not going to get through Parliament and get into law until sometime in the spring, possibly as late as April. So between now and April, they'll be still coming. And we're also now told that there's a pretty good plan for them to get bigger boats, which is what they use in the Mediterranean. So that instead of people arriving sort of in the dozens, they'll be arriving in their hundreds next year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see whether that happens. But what we do know is that the flow is increasing. And what we do know is that the flow heading to the UK, already coming across from Africa and and Afghanistan and Syria and so on, we know that that flow is increasing further up the pipeline um, with the expectation that it's easy to get to the UK. Mm. So these numbers are just going to grow. The only limitation on it at the moment is, frankly, weather conditions in the channel. What Priti Patel is doing, and I I, I happen to know this from, from inside the sort of inner sanctums of the Home Office, 
What Priti Patel is doing is reacting with headline statements and promises to ward off adverse headlines. What she doesn't seem to grasp is that the only way to deal with these headlines is to deal with a problem. Yeah. We're getting sick and tired of, of just these words. Um, her plans to turn around migrants in the, in the channel, utterly unworkable, yeah. simply under international law, on an operational level for the skippers of the border force vessels, totally unreasonable, totally in, 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 impractical. Um, just lines. Yeah. So what is um, the answer, Henry? Because we just lost you for a second there. You know, is the answer what some people think it is, which is to go to these countries of origin and make them more stable or somehow make them more habitable for people? I'm not even sure that would work anymore because many of these young, particularly the young men who, who want to come, are coming for a better life. They're coming to make more money. They're coming for economic reasons, right? That's true. Um, but Mike, back sort of between about 2001 and 2006... The UK ran something called Operation or Project Reflex. And this was 12 government agencies that were all working together in a coordinated manner, pooling their resources to disrupt organised crime and people smuggling, moving people and human trafficking and mm. people smuggling all the way through to the European Union, European Union and the UK. It was massively successful. For three years, I was working embedded in the, the Ministry of Interior and the security services of a particular country, um, running and funding, doing the training for and actually running um, intelligence and tactical operations on the ground to target these networks. Mm. Now, Tony Blair pulled the funding for that in 2006. It helped. But there is no silver bullet. We need to be doing that. We need to be using all our diplomatic strengths and, and power um, we need to build that up as well to persuade these countries to stop the corruption, stop the, the, the endemic sort of problems with their, their economy so that people don't feel the need to move for economic reasons. At the same time, we need to use the stick, not just the carrot. We need to use projects like Reflex and reinstitute them. We also need to start um, building up our own defences on this. We need to, in this country, I'll give you an example, Depends how you measure it, of course, but there are 11 different government agencies with boats operating in some way in relation to our maritime borders. 11 different agencies, mm. Coast Guard, Fisheries Protection, Border Force and so on and others. Now, in the US, it is one agency reporting to one government department, and that is the Coast Guard. Yeah. So a Coast Guard vessel might today be dealing with migrants, then this afternoon it's dealing with a fisheries incident, then something a drug smuggling thing the next moment. And... It's one agency. It's cohesive. Here, 11 different agencies, no overarching strategy framework, um, no cohesive plan, no uh, effort to work towards a common set of established goals on those borders and utilise and, and mobilise sort of, uh, mutual support in, in use of those resources. It's utterly incompetent. Yeah. Well, it certainly, so, it certainly seems to have no working parts whatsoever. I mean, there's not one no. bit of our immigration control that works, it seems to me, at all. I mean, today in the papers, we've seen a story where yet another plane load of foreign criminals yeah. who were due to be sent back to Jamaica, deported, uh, was, was, was boarded, and most of them were taken off for last-minute appeals. I mean, the whole system is, is, is broken, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Mike, interestingly, um, I understand that some of these, uh, you know, there are all sorts of... People in this group of migrants or, or deportees who were on this flight, um, you know, and they were all taken off for different reasons. Apparently, four of them swallowed razor blades or something. Um, you know, you and I wouldn't be able to get on an airplane with, a, with razor blades. How can they? Um, supposedly, they've come from a deportation centre yeah. and they've been carrying razor blades with them. Um, the, the idea well, I mean, I suppose that save, if... you, save you a plane fare. Just leave them in there. <laughs> you know. yes. it's, it's one solution, I yeah. suppose. But... Um, but these last minute appeals, Mike, you know, they're, they're absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. You know, why is it that a human rights lawyer can lodge a last minute appeal based on new information? These people have been in the country for ages. They've yeah. been going through a legal process for ages. What about the, the uh, I, I used to be a police officer many years ago. I don't know whether I can remember it now, but the, the caution. You do not have to say anything when questioned. But if you do not mention when questioned something that you later rely on in court, it may yeah. harm your defence. Well, you know, if these people knew that they've got a family member somewhere or that there was some other fact, um, why the hell haven't we got a similar thing in place? If you don't mention it at the beginning of the process, I'm sorry, 
but you can't make an appeal based on new information yeah. if, if you knew it beforehand. No, um, exactly right. And, and the idea that Jamaica is somehow a dangerous place to go for somebody who is a hardened criminal is a joke, isn't it? Well, it may be dangerous for a hardened criminal who's rubbed up hardened, other hardened criminals the wrong way. Um, but frankly, I don't have a lot of sympathy there. No. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody is a foreign national, foreign citizen, they come to this country, they commit crime, then they damn well need to be kicked out. And I don't give a damn, frankly, Mike, whether or not they have got family members here or anything else. They should have thought about yeah. that before they broke the yeah. law. I they need to go. I couldn't we need agree to put more. the mechanisms in place to do that. I could and it's not the same more. with stuff in the channel, Mike. Yeah. You know, the people we know, Pritchard Patel has admitted they're economic migrants. Why are we treating them as refugees? Mm. It's just simply because they say so. I know. Uh, we need to make sure that we've got the right things in there. And in January, it takes a while to sort of, I've, I've got to, bring the thing get the thing together but i'm going to be making a presentation on the plan that i would put in front of government if government were to ask me the plan not to say this isn't good enough that's not good enough oh we should turn them around but a plan as to what the government should do to secure our maritime borders well, my case. mind is that they don't know how to do it i don't i don't buy into the conspiracy i think they simply don't know how to do it they're too incompetent mm. so let's put a plan in front of them Let's them hold them to accountable to that, accountable to, to implementing that plan in the absence of anything better. And if they want to come up with something better, great. Absolutely. Well, Henry, please do come in and present it to us, uh, and we'll present it with you to them. Uh, it might be able to be uh, something we can get moving on, because mm -hmm. I think an awful lot of people that listen to this show and who watch this show will want something done by then, if not before. Henry Bolton, OBE, talking sense, uh, making sense. And it's a terrible situation, what's going on on the border of Poland and Belarus. Absolutely dreadful. I don't know how it's going to end, uh, but it ain't going to be pretty. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.